Greetings, travelers! Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. Salam, travelers! We are so excited about this story because this month is Women's History Month and we wanted a really strong female character. I hope you are ready for ghouls, sea lions, cowardly princes, and a globe-trotting heroine. Heck yeah! This is my kind of tale. So this is one of the stories that I found first on Twitter through the Hungarian storyteller Chenge Virag Zalka, and then I went through her blog, and then her absolutely fantastic book, Tales of Superhuman Powers, 55 Traditional Stories from Around the World, and she writes about the story of Aisha with so much dedication and so much love. So I followed her footsteps in tracing the story and its variants through Michael Perron's book, Women as Brave as Men, Berber Heroines of the Moroccan Middle Atlas, and eventually to Jan Kapart's article, Aisha's Tasks on Earth. So I could not find any sources that weren't either in French or English, but everything will be put on our website. And hopefully if you guys have any other sources of this story, then you will also send them to us because I'd love to read more. Aisha had a lot of tasks on Earth, but our task right now is to tell you the tale. So gather around as we tell the tale of Aisha, the Demon Slayer. There was once an honest merchant with three daughters. His youngest and cleverest daughter was Aisha. She was beautiful, intelligent, magical, and an excellent swordsman with her Arabian scimitar. She also had worldly knowledge of poetry and literature and had studied the art of reading the future in the sand. This is a pretty good resume and everything, but I'm really <laughs> interested in this art of reading the future in the sand because that's a, an ability I've not heard before. Obviously, like knowing the future, like having prophecies said to you um, is definitely one thing, but looking at specifically the sand is a new one on me. Listen, if the British can look at tea leaves and tell you what your future will hold, the rest of the world can find <laughs> other ways to tell the future as well. <laughs> this is true. Tea leaves. I forgot about that one. I don't actually know if that is a British thing or if that came from another culture first, but I feel like the tea leaves one was the one that when I first read about it, and I think Harry Potter, I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, very British of them. So that's why it just stuck to me as like the British tell the future from their tea leaves. It's interesting where people try and pull the future from. There's also like the palm reading and um, obviously star reading is another big thing. A lot of reading. You know, the just things around us. Yes. And honestly, it feels like she is, like in some stories and some variations, she is quite magical. So she does have powers. Um, in others, she relies mostly on her actual skills that are not on her actual skills. Oh, on her actual skills. Okay. Magic's not an actual skill. You're like adding every wizard out there. Holy crap. <laughs> it's fine. I get what you mean. Like talking about skills that one could actually use in reality more than magic sometimes, right? Well, I was thinking more about because she has every, like she's intelligent, she's beautiful, she's an excellent swordsman, she probably is a good shot on an arrow. Um, so it just kind of makes you think like, what more does she need? And then it kind of sprinkles it in there like, oh yeah, by the way, she has magical powers and she's a sorceress and she, you know, she can do these kind of spells. So it's kind of like the whole package here. She's the entire package. She's very protagonisty. She is, but in a really good way, I think, because it's nice to have a female protagonist from this time period who's just straight up confident and well-rounded. Mm -hmm. 
And you know what? Who cares if she's a little bit too OP and has a bit too much plot armor? I don't care. I'm like, go out there and slay as many things as you want to slay. Yeah. Go for it, girl. And of course, whenever her father traveled for work, he left Aisha in charge of his wealth, and rightfully so. As the stories go, she immobilized one thief with a spell and left another bleeding to death. However, along with Aisha, there was another favorite in the family. Their spoiled cat who only ate the best sweets. Cat eats sweets? My cat would only go for like fish and like chicken and like that's that's pretty much it. That's all she really wants to steal from us. I don't think I've ever met a cat who is like, give me that candy. <laughs> well, this is a spoiled cat, so maybe the time period is different. I mean, there's also magic in this land, so I'm not going to rule out monsters and ogres and ghouls and a sweet loving cat. I feel like that's just another type of monster here. <laughs> you monster, you ate my sweet tarts. <laughs> well, as long as they're willing to spoil it, who are we to tell them what to do with their cat? Now, anytime Aisha's father left for his travels, he ordered a box of fresh sweets for the cat and warned his daughters not to touch them. This time, as soon as he was gone, the two sisters found the box and ate everything and left nothing for the kitty. As cats do, the cat enacted revenge and peed all over the embers in the fire, making it unusable for cooking. Instead of magicking some fire, Aisha went to their neighbor to find some live coals. This neighbor was a mysterious man with an ill repute. Some people even claimed he was a ghoul, but Aisha did not care and went anyway. Do you think this ghoul is actually like a grunt for some other villain and is just, he's been really smart with his money, he's invested it right and he's able now to afford this home, but like his day job is just to work in some villain's lair? I don't think so because in another version of the story, he lives a little bit further away and Aisha and her sisters had never actually met him before. Um, so when she's walking to find the live coals, she just stumbles upon the first house she sees. And it's not one she recognizes, but she goes in anyway because she's quite fearless. So it's, it's hard to say if like this is someone who has a reputation, doesn't have a reputation. The sources I found for this book are not very... <laughs> similar in some ways so it's hard to kind of find one singular story of who this ghoul was and where he came from so Aisha not being scared of much fearlessly entered the house and was greeted by a peculiar man sitting on a donkey skull and stirring a pan with the goat's bone he looked at her and smiled exposing row after row of jackal's teeth Aisha knew at once that this was a magical man-eater ogre or a ghoul the two took stock of each other but Aisha did not hesitate she greeted him cheerfully and asked for coals for their fire, as if he was just a friend. The ghoul was a bit caught off guard, but he obliged, and when she bent down to grab it, he reached out and touched her foot lightly. She felt just a prick and nothing else. Aisha knew to expect something sinister, so she thanked him and walked home, marking the trail of blood that she was leaving. She stopped just outside her house and dug a deep seven-foot trench, then she covered it with leaves. After doing so, she waited for nightfall. This is some Team Rocket level scheming right here, and I am absolutely here for it. <laughs> yes, I mean, I've never really seen, well, actually, that's not quite true, because we did see it in the Shaname, where, like, they built a hole for all of them, all of Rostam's men to fall into, but I feel like it's just such an odd thing to be like, I'm just going to build a hole, put some leaves on it, and hope that this person walks exactly on this one spot. 
And sometimes they don't even bother explain how the leaves, leaves are suspended there. Like sometimes they're smart enough to like mention there's a net just underneath the leaves or whatever. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, in like at least in the cartoons, it's just like animated leaves are just like hovering above the hole. And I'm like, that's the more <laughs> impressive feat here is that your leaves are levitating. Um, <laughs> maybe you could do something with that. That magic. <laughs> but also, she's like a magic user. She's she can kill people with a single blow. I feel like it's kind of cruel to do what she does. But, you know, he's also a ghoul who kills people. So it's really hard to be on his side as well. She's bored. She probably doesn't actually want to go back in there. The cat's mad at her, you know, and it's so annoying <laughs> when the cat is upset with you. Well, at no point does she mention her sisters again. So I guess they just kind of don't exist anymore. And they're, they don't really question the fact that she built this hole and is now waiting outside in the dark for it. And they will never be mentioned again. Actually, they aren't. They aren't mentioned again. <laughs> the poor second sibling. It's like we talk about, you know, other siblings besides like the protagonist sibling having a rough time. But this is probably the best fate for her, her sisters, if they're just not mentioned again. Like only bad stuff could happen to them or they could only be betrayed as like rude if they can say need to stay in the story. Mm-hmm. Like either they're going to turn into evil stepsisters or nobodies. And at some point you're kind of like, I'd rather they be nobodies. Anyway, so... <laughs> She set this trap just like a good Team Rocket member. What happens next? <laughs> I feel like she'd be more... I feel like she'd be a better Team Rocket member than Team Rocket members are. Yes, but all I'm imagining is Jesse James and Meowth just hiding in a bush nearby, just waiting <laughs> and, like, giggling, like, manically. Like, yes, my trap is set. Well, Ash and his friends aren't the only ones that consistently fall for this. Because as soon as it was dark, the ghoul appeared in a hurry. And he foolishly fell for the trick and fell into the hole. Aisha leapt out and threw a torch in after him, burning the creature within. As the fire died and the monster with it, a curse rang out. One of my bones will take revenge on you. She paid him no mind and went about her life. As news does, it traveled fast and soon reached the ears of the king, who wanted the beautiful hero as a wife for his son, Prince Aslan. He sent messengers to the merchant, and despite her refusal, the merchant begged his daughter to accept, not just because she would live a good life as a princess, but because royal connections were really good for business. What does the king really gain from this marriage? Like I said, she is a hero, so she's probably not like a compliant traditional princess uh, who should be obeying her husband and stuff, so she's not like fitting that traditional role. Um, and she's certainly not bringing the king, like, new money or connections for him. So what is he really getting out of this? See, I think one of the reasons I really like this story is that it's not conventional. And it do- people don't have kind of this disgust for her as a woman who's powerful and strong. They kind of celebrate it. And I really think that's a good point of the story is that she is an individual. She is strong. She is self-reliant and independent. And instead of kind of trying to put her down or see her as a threat or a risk, everyone around her kind of celebrates her and wants her to be, you know, their hero. So no one's going, oh, you're a woman, you can't do this. The entire point is that people do see see her for what she is and they do want to be part of that. So the king, I'm assuming, sees the fact that she's this strong, independent woman and he wants her to be in a position of power. I mean, this, you know, the pessimist in me is kind of like, well, maybe he does want to kind of tie her to the royal family so that she's going to do the things that the royal family wants done in terms of their policies and upholding their rule. But I feel like 
it is a it is really refreshing to see that people aren't just immediately going oh my god she can't be a queen she can't be a princess she can't be a hero because she has all these other qualities they're kind of like yes we want this and so i think the king has a lot to gain from it to be honest i think given how when we see it in a little bit how the prince is i'm sure he wants a strong figure in their life <laughs> so let me explain what that means with the rest of the story because i feel like now my sentence doesn't quite make sense but we'll see when we when i talk about the prince some more um because aisha doesn't really like this idea that the prince kind of just sent messengers to ask her to marry him she's like what is he lazy why won't he come and ask me himself but with her father's words she eventually agreed but only if the prince wore the golden ring she sent and rode out to destroy the ogres and evil creatures lurking in the forests of the kingdom. After he had done so, she would marry him. The messengers took her ring back to the prince, and despite being terrified, it would have been dishonorable to refuse her challenge, so he rode out into the forests. Thankfully, his first encounter was not with the hundred-legged spider or giant, but with the short-veiled soldier. Even then, he resoundingly lost the fight, and as he waited for his death blow, the warrior disappeared with his ring. (laughs) The prince had seen enough. He escaped to relative safety and waited for some time to pass before returning home and declaring himself a hero. When Aisha arrived at the palace for their engagement, she sweetly asked for her gold ring back. All eyes were on the prince, who muttered something about losing it while fighting monsters, which wasn't true, and Aisha knew it. She boldly held out the ring, then proclaimed that the prince was a liar and a coward who had lost in a fight to her. As such, she'd be breaking the engagement heading home. Such a power move. (laughs) It is, and I think I can think of several ways people would loophole this, but, you know, no one actually wants to go challenge her on this considering how good of a fighter she is, so good on her. Wait, what do you mean loophole this? As in, like, how did she get the ring, or...? If (laughs) we were in, like... People doing um actually in here. Technically, <laughs> she's not a monster in the forest. She's just a wandering soldier, and she essentially just robbed him of the of the ring, essentially. And yeah, like obviously after that, he didn't go and fight monsters. But there, we don't actually have any way of knowing that. We just can tell based off of him being him. All she proved is that he lost a single fight to her in the woods, and it's not like. He could have theoretically gone and fight other creatures and stuff and maybe cleared out a bunch of it, but it wouldn't have mattered because he lost the one fight. So I could see some people being maybe legalistic, being like, well, it might not be fair, but we know who he is and it's fine. Kinda. I mean, I see more on the side of she did. I feel like she should have let him at least try and fight something else first before she kind of interfered. But I feel like she already had the idea that she didn't want to marry him. So she didn't want to go ahead with this anyway. And had he won the fight, I'm sure she would have followed along with it. Because he would have proved that he was a strong actual, like, he would have proved he was a strong character, basically. But I feel like I was rooting against him. Because as soon as I heard he was terrified, I was like, right, he's not going to do this. He's going to pretend like he did it. And for me, I think it was the combination of him not going and proposing to her himself. And then also you know losing in a fight to her so he wasn't really her equal in that sense and then also coming back home and lying about it and I'm sure she must have watched him for a little bit to make sure that you know did he actually go and fight anything else or did he just call it a day but I do like how no one questions her decision no one tries to make her change her mind no one tries to say Mm -hmm. oh but you know you agreed to marry him so you should marry him 
I agree. This prince is just <laughs> a goof. So yeah, I think her decision was fine, but I could see in another story, people would be trying to point to this idea of like, oh, she didn't give him a fair shot or whatever to fight monsters if she went right away. In another story, they would emphasize this point and make her go along with it, but we're not in those other stories. We're in a good story where they respect her decision. <laughs> <laughs> so Aisha, in all of her excitement over the royal wedding, had completely forgotten about the ghoul's curse. When she arrived home, she saw the pit and decided to see if any piece of the monster remained. However, as soon as she jumped in and found a bone, it exploded. A tiny fragment embedded itself into her shoulder. And from that moment on, her heart filled with a longing for adventure and travel. She immediately ran inside, threw on men's clothing, mounted her horse, and rode away to see the world. I love this payoff, and it's just a weird curse that, like, that's kind of followed up with. It's like not... You must die as my revenge, but no, you have to go rid the world of monsters like me. I feel like the curse of restlessness is something that we don't really see. Obviously, there's a whole bunch of different curses out there and there are different types of severities, but I feel like being restless is initially kind of fun because you have to travel, you have to go places and you have this desire to do it. But after a while, I feel like you get tired and you want some place to call home. Obviously, some people don't ever get that. They're willing to make wherever they are their home, which is really sweet. But I feel like people like me where I'd want to be somewhere, at least where I have, you know, my things and my stuff and my family and I have close ties with people and I have a community. I feel like that's quite important to me. So I would find a curse like this very difficult. Um... So it's one of those like ones where it's like initially it's fine. Initially you're like, I get to travel. And then a year later you're like, all right, I'm still traveling. And then two years later you're like, okay, look at all the people I've met and none of whom I could make long lasting connections with. And then you keep doing that over and over again until you finally figure out what's wrong. Also just to note the whole being pricked by something and then having something embedded in you. This is very Sleeping Beauty-esque. So... Sleeping Beauty, obviously, she gets pricked by something and then she falls into a slumber. So this is one of those tropes that comes up here as well, is that Aisha gets pricked by something and then obviously she gets pricked again by this fragment of bone that makes it so she has to go kind of travel the world and figure out what the curse is at the end. And so she does. Her first adventure was to a seaside kingdom filled with deep unhappiness and misery. The residents told her that they were forced to cower in fear as enormous grey lions rose from the sea every night. Aisha offered her help and went to see the king about enacting her plan. As soon as she stepped into the throne room, the king knew she was a woman. The way she carried herself and her voice were dead giveaways, but he was desperate and did not have time for questions. Everyone went to work at once, following Aisha's orders to create massive clay lions and place them all over the walls. That night... When the sea lions emerged, they were frightened by the imposing figures on the gates and retreated. The king and the people thanked Aisha, and he asked her to marry him. He saw her for what she was and wanted to share his kingdom and rule with her. As much as Aisha may have wanted to, she could not and said she would return when she had rid the world of its monsters. So she wrote on. (laughs) That is a tall ask. She's just going to rid the world of all monsters. She's kind of like, I'll be back. When I'm when the world is cleansed of all the creatures that are horrible and evil, see you never. Is she gonna also rid the like the monsters of men as well? Cause that's a whole other undertaking. 
No, I think that'd be too nuanced. You'd have to like go around judging people and figuring out what it was. And I don't think she has enough time for that. She just has to go from place to place. And honestly, it's very like Witcher-esque. You go to places, you're a monster hunter. And, you know, instead of getting paid with gold, she might get paid with company, with friends, with uh, food and shelter for the night and stuff for her horse. And then she just moves on to the next place. So this part did remind me a lot of The Witcher, like having a character that just goes around and slays monsters. Sounds like a pretty good gig. <laughs> like It sounds exciting anyways, I should say. I mean, it gives her a purpose, right? Like it gives her a very clear purpose because I feel like if you're just traveling with no aim, it'll get boring faster. Whereas if you're going with the aim of I'm going to go and rid the world of monsters and fight these creatures and seek them out, then you kind of have something to look forward to between each place you go to. I like to think in this montage of her killing monsters that she eventually just like crosses over into other fairy tales and myths and she's just like <laughs> kind of shows up in like, you know, the Shauna May. She shows up in like uh, all of the traditional Jack stories, all these other fairy tales where just people are fighting monsters. And it's like, yep, she kills it for it for the hero. It's like, no worries, my dude, and continues on her way. See, I think like the daughter of the sword. Aisha has many different like smaller stories about her like she I think she does end up being a stock character at some point I couldn't find anything else so I would really be super grateful if anyone could send us any more information but I couldn't find anything else about her stories kind of like we couldn't find anything really about the daughter of the sword either although the authors note that you know there are more stories about these characters and they were told but there's just not much else we know about it So I really like the idea that somewhere in, you know, Morocco or Algeria, there were these stories about Aisha and her travels and people would just, you know, put her in these other situations where she would be fighting the weirdest creatures just because, you know, I feel like that would be quite cool. That'd be great. As opposed to having, you know, I guess Ivan or Vasilisa, we have Aisha. I like it. At some point, we should just rank all the stock (laughs) characters we've come across and been like, who's the best? We should. I feel like we should. We should rank all the different stock characters and their stories because I feel like there are so many and mm-hmm. every, you know, every country, every culture kind of has their own stock character that gets put into these stories. So some examples of her stock stories that include different battles. In one, she fights a giant with a wolf head named Horoth. And in another one, she fights a tribe of shaitans or evil spirits. And in that one, she fought one-on-one against the king of the Shaitans and decapitated him. Now, in these two stories, both of the kingdoms that she helped save were so grateful they offered her their crowns, but she did refuse because she could not get the seaside king out of her head, and so she decided to return. This is some real protagonist energy here. Oh no, everyone wants to marry me. Everyone wants me to rule, even though beauty and fighting has nothing to do with running a country. What will I do? I feel like that's unfair because she is also really intelligent. She can tell the future. She's well-read. She is, so I feel like just being like, oh, she's beautiful. And like I get the most protagonists do that, but I feel like Aisha isn't that. Aisha is very much like, I would want her to be a ruler. She's not only brave and she's willing to do whatever it takes, but she's also, you know, she has a good bearing of literature and history and poetry, which are, you know, foundations of cultures. So I feel like she'd make a great ruler. Thank you very much. You know what? You're probably not wrong, but I don't know if she spent enough time in either of these kingdoms for them to understand how smart she is. 
to be able to do all that because like you know how do you slay a monster is not necessarily the same skill set as running a country so like they would have had to spend much more time with her to figure that one out i'm more making fun of the general idea that people associate fighting and killing things to be the interview essentially (laughs) for the job of will you rule our country yes or no and you just stab the paper and they're like good answer well to be fair a lot of places and historically a lot of places do rely on their leaders to be warriors and to come in and fight the monster or fight the evil king and so i feel like it does have historical bearing to be like oh she's fought you know our biggest monster crisis and she solved a major issue and you know she'll probably be able to fight the next big thing that comes around so why won't we make her our queen or our champion i like the idea more that whoever used to rule these two places just kind of is like, right, you know, here you go. <laughs> you can take the crown. Um, or they're about to get brutally murdered by their, uh, or deposed by their population who are like, we've decided this is our new ruler. Maybe they're like, we give up the crown to you. I secretly have always just wanted to be a pastry chef, and now I can do that <laughs> if you just take this freaking crown from me. Well, sucks for all of them because Aisha wants her king. And as fate has it, on her way back, a parasitic lizard landed on her shoulder and pierced her skin. I don't know what this creature is, but it sounds awful. Without panicking, Aisha just spurred her horse into the thick bush and tried to wrench the creature off. It clung deep into her flesh, but she rode hard until it had been yanked free. She brought the horse to a stop, and as she assessed her bleeding shoulder... She suddenly felt the restlessness in her bones disappear. She no longer felt the weight of her curse settle deep inside her. Feeling free and ready to find a home, Aisha rode back to the seaside to become the queen. Aw, she actually went back to the first guy. Now, do you think she went back to the first guy because he was actually the best? Or was it like he was the first to ask? So she's like... Well, I guess he was the first, so I might as well honor that. Why are you on Aisha hatred? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like, what's up. You just hate her. What's up? She didn't go. Like the first person to ask her to marry her was was Prince Aslan, and she said no to him. So I feel like saying that, like she went back because he's the first one to ask, is kind of unfair. Okay, from what the story has told me, I don't see any difference between. The king from the seaside, and then the other two kings that she said no to. So I'm just trying to understand why him. What do we? What's our theories here? Was he like just like the best guy? I don't know. Love at first sight, maybe, or I don't know. I mean, I personally don't understand it either, just because she seems like she wants someone who is her equal and someone who is, you know, as clever as she is and as strong as she is. And the fact that he couldn't fight off or figure out how to fight off the sea lions might have been an issue but on the other hand he's someone who listened to her like a complete stranger who showed up and was like i have a solution and he was like right let's get to it he knew that she was lying about her identity and he didn't really care he just went along with it because he had a kingdom to save and his pride didn't stop him from being like oh you're a woman you can't tell me what to do so i feel like he has he has some qualities. Obviously, we don't know enough about him because this is, you know, just a legend, a story. So we don't have enough time to go into his background and their kind of love affair. But I feel like Aisha doesn't deserve to be said that about her. I, I didn't even mean to do that. I'm just trying to understand. 
I know. But the last like four comments you made were all about Aisha being like, like questioning her and all of that. I was like, okay, but she hasn't done anything. I didn't think it was being that mean. I think I'm usually tearing like, characters equality. apart. This is, yeah. yeah. If there's one shtick I have, it's questioning everything. Okay. I question all the stupid stuff they do. And I'm just, I'm being equal here and questioning her decision. You're giving her the Jack treatment. Listen, if she wants to come fight me, she can because she'll <laughs> absolutely win. And I will be like too starstruck to say anything when she like, you know, takes me out. You're like, hi, Aisha. I'm so sorry. Uh, I have some sweets for your cat as like a peace offering. Exactly. Do you remember your cat? You remember your cat? Remember your sisters? <laughs> Did you ever go back to see them? Okay, no, sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't mean to question. <laughs> Why did she go back to her sisters? Eh, I mean, they're sisters in a fairy tale. They don't really matter all that much. Could she not have been like, hey, kingdom number three, I can't take your crown, but I do have a sister. Would you be interested in marrying her? Like, she could have gotten a monopoly at a ton of kingdoms if she just had her sisters married off to these guys. Imagine being her sister, though. Like, imagine you're just, like, you're not really that great with the sword. You're real red. But, like, you know, you're not, a, like, a prodigy like she is. And later on, when, like, you're at her wedding and she's like, oh, yeah, I could have been the queen of these two other kingdoms as well. And you're like, oh, two other kingdoms. Like, you know, you have two other sisters. I guess we'll just marry the local boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm afraid to say anything now. I don't want to be mean. No, you don't. I didn't mean that as like a criticism. It was just like every other comment. I was like, do we hate Aisha? I don't understand what the energy is. I was like, what's our vibe? I like Aisha. I'm just a de general default questioning everything. And mm -hmm. Maybe it's because I like Aisha too much. I'm like, don't, don't hurt my... I'm like, this is my girl. This is my girl. How dare you? Um, I feel like her and... uh. Oh, what's her name? What do we call the girl from East of the Sun, West of the Moon? Was it Thor, Thordetta or something? Oh, we gave her a name. Oh, we called her Thor Daughter. Thor Daughter. I feel like Aisha and Thor Daughter would get along, is all I'm saying. Yes. They both went on journeys, and they ended up with that happily ever after, saving um, a country or two. Didn't Thor Daughter wash a shirt? I can't remember. She did wash a shirt, yeah. I feel like that was her... I made fun of her, too, for washing the shirt. Don't worry. <laughs> and Daughter of the Sword. I think Daughter of the Sword would also get along with these two. Although she's a little more... I feel like Daughter of the Sword post-kidnapping would get along with them. I yes. think pre-kidnapping, she's a bit too spoiled. But post... I feel like that's a horrible thing to say. Post-kidnapping, she had really good character growth. Um, but she did, apparently. So take it out on the author of that fairy tale, not us. Anyways, Aisha, great. 10 out of 10, would read this story again. I love, it. I love <laughs> just her like gallivanting, being like, I'm going to go slay all the monsters in the world. And she kind of does. She just goes and slays a ton. Eventually, the curse just wears off. She's like, cool, I'm going to take my pick of what kingdom I want to live with in the rest of my life and who's the coolest king. And she's like, yeah, you, the seaside guy, I'll marry you. And she just becomes queen and lives a, like a comfortable life. I think the assumption is that she continues to do the demon hunting after she's married. She just has a partner to do it with, or at least she has a bit more stability. So she's not always on the move. She always has to go. She just has to go when she wants to, kind of. They can slay monsters together. That's so sweet. 
That is cute. Well, while they're hunting down those monsters, we're going to be hunting down our five fantastic finds for this episode. Number one. Aisha's neighbor was a ghoul, and he cursed our heroine with restlessness. But what is a ghoul? Like trolls, ghouls are very loosely defined, so they tend to be very different from story to story. Traditionally, they are associated with graveyards and cannibalism. Because those are the only two distinct features of a ghoul, ghouls become easy cannon fodder in video games and tabletop role-playing games. Their descriptions will vary and can be easily modified slightly to give players a new challenge while reusing the basics of a ghoul. Sometimes ghouls were not always monsters, but started out as humans. Sometimes these mutant types become a zombie-like horde. And in rare instances, becoming a ghoul is essentially like gaining superpowers, like in Tokyo Ghoul, with of course the drawback being you are still a monster that must feast on human flesh. Number two. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Aisha's story is chock full of tropes and pieces from other folklore categories. Now the most obvious one is the pricking of the bone transferring a curse, which is a staple of the Sleeping Beauty archetype. But also, strangely enough, it's connected to the maiden seeks her brothers. You may be familiar with these variants of stories, such as the wild swans or the twelve brothers from European folktales, where the brothers are transformed into wild birds and the sister needs to go get them and then save them from their curse. However, throughout northern Africa, these stories are slightly different. For example, in the Moroccan tale Udea and her seven brothers, and in the Algerian story The Girl Who Banished Seven Brothers. Now, they follow the same kind of archetype where the sister finds her brothers, but in these stories, after she finds them, her cat puts out the fire in their kitchen, usually for petty reasons. She unknowingly visits a ghoul in order to get more fire, and it follows her, but before it can eat her, her brothers return to slay it. As with the story of Aisha, the ghoul's finger bone pricks her as it dies, but instead of making her restless, it makes her fall into a death-like state. If this sounds familiar, then great, you are thinking of Snow White. There are many references in this one story, and it's hard to map all of them, but Aisha is a testament to the evolution of storytelling. Number 3. As a cat owner myself, I was surprised to hear that Aisha's family cat loved sweets. It made me wonder if this was good for the kitty, or what if I had been withholding a delicious treat for my cat for all these years. So naturally, I needed to dig further. In 2005, a study was conducted to determine this very thing. This was tested by giving cats two bowls of water. One contained fresh water, while the other was sugar water. Researchers found that cats drank from both bowls equally, showing no preference. Even though sugar isn't exactly healthy for cats and can make them sick, the cat continued to drink from both bowls. To understand more, the researchers looked at genetics. They compared cat DNA to other animals which can detect sweetness, such as humans, dogs, and rats. And they found that cats were missing two genes essential for sweet receptors. As a result, cats can never produce the necessary proteins to detect sweetness. Researchers also believe that these genes were deleted from feline genetics over a million years ago. This makes the cat from the story a lot more interesting since it can taste and enjoy sweets despite this being scientifically impossible. It makes me wonder if this cat was more of a familiar or another supernatural creature altogether. If you want to know more about cats' lack of taste, 
we will have the link to the original study on our website with this week's show notes. Number four. When we first started researching Aisha, we came across a monster from Moroccan folktale with an interesting backstory. Now, ghostly women that lure and kill men appear in every culture, and most of the time, they have quite a sad story. Aisha Kandisha is said to be a female jinn who looks like a beautiful woman, but she has camel legs, or goat legs in some cases. She lures men into secluded places like the water and then kills them. There is a lot of mysticism surrounding the story of Aisha, and she's an incredibly nuanced figure. There are claims that the story has evolved from a historical figure, a countess who became a freedom fighter after the Portuguese invasion led to her husband and family's deaths. She would lure the soldiers away and then ambush them. The scale of the massacres meant that people wondered if she was immortal, and over time, her historical background fell away and she became a mythological figure. However, her depiction in early Western works often removed the layers of her character and made her just another seductive boogeyman. Many great Moroccan storytellers are working to keep the oral history surrounding Aisha alive. There are also many stories of Aisha Kandisha that are told all over Morocco and all over the internet, so there will be some links to these videos and books on our website. Number 5. Despite all my sass and nitpicks, Aisha is awesome. She is clever, brave, and kind, and her tale is excellent. My only real serious complaint is that I wish we had more details of her adventures. At least she is giving me a great excuse to talk about the walking the earth trope. This trope happens when characters continuously wander from place to place, town to town, always finding adventure and excitement everywhere they go. As a kid, I thought this was the coolest idea. This belief was likely from the hours of hours of Pokemon I watched. Seeing Ash, Brock, and Misty travel from town to town, meeting new friends, and being heroes seemed so free and fun. But as an adult now, I prefer the ease of traveling in stories more than cross-country. It turns out that traveling is a lot more expensive than it is in the Pokemon world. This trope is common in a lot of anime and long-running series. It's an easy way to have the protagonist, i.e. the Wanderer, show up in a completely new environment with new and interesting characters to interact with. And once the town's problems have been helped, the Wanderer moves on, not needing to deal with long-standing consequences for their actions. As always, if you want to see the show summary, then subscribe for updates on our website at talesfromtheenchantforest.com. And if you want to hear more from us, join us on Twitter at From Enchanted or on Instagram, Mastodon, or TikTok by our podcast name. For questions, comments, and guest requests, please send us an email to talesfromtheenchantforest at gmail.com. And if you have anything to share, then please don't hesitate. Remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard today and what we do here, then please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Thank you.